listening to the Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Hey, thanks for tuning in tonight. I'm actually here for two hours. Vinny is still away. He's away for a couple of weeks, so I'll be here from 8 until 10 p.m. tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you uh, had a lovely weekend celebrating Easter or Passover uh, with friends and family. If, uh, if you were celebrating, I know it still feels like winter. There was some snow today. Very depressing, but certainly spring has to be around the corner, I hope. It's just a long April Fool's Day prank. Um, you can text in as well. The show is live. You can text in at 71010. Also, tell me if you uh, were pranked on April Fool's Day or perhaps you pulled off a wonderful joke. Let me know all about it. We can talk about it later in the show. Uh, coming up also later in the show at about 9 p.m., I want to talk to a Toronto mom um, about something that I think a lot of parents can relate to in in some way. It's when a parent sort of has a suspicion that there might be something wrong with their child, um, that their baby perhaps might need some special attention or have some sort of challenges. And then it's getting that suspicion diagnosed and confirmed and uh, and what you do after that. So um, she actually had put up a great video on YouTube about her daughter who is living with a form of dwarfism and just I think a lot of parents can relate to worrying about their child and wanting the best for them and, and sort of worrying about uh, what might happen to them in the future as they get older and they socialize with other kids. So I uh, hope you'll tune in for that. I think it's going to be a great conversation. Also, if you have a child who's interested in music or maybe you want to expose them to the orchestra, I'll tell you about the Toronto Symphony Orchestra's Young People Concert Series. It's a great way to get your little ones interested in the symphony with themes like Harry Potter, Star Wars, things that they might be able to relate to. Um, and I'll tell you how you can expose your kids to a live orchestra performance geared just to the little ones. Uh, but first, I have two very special guests in studio with me tonight. They actually stepped away from work very briefly so they could come in here and then they have to go back to work. Uh, I have uh, from MasterChef Canada, one of the judges, also three Michelin-starred chef, Alvin Long. Thanks for coming in tonight. And also, uh, if you are familiar with season one, then you know the winner, Eric Chong. And you guys are both in here tonight working hard because, well, you just opened a restaurant together. So it's called R&D. Uh, so R&D. So Alvin, why don't you tell me about the, the name? Well, I think, you know, R&D, I think uh, the first thing in people's mind is probably, you know, research and development mm -hmm. or... Um, or research and development, I guess. <laughs> and um, you know, you know, I, you know, when we sat down and try to figure out names for the restaurant, and me and Eric, you know, we're we're both engineer, and we both we share very similar backgrounds in terms of our technical background. We both uh, grew up in Canada, uh, and we had all kinds of crazy name, and one of them was the Engineers Club. Uh, it was like what <laughs> which was could that? be a little confusing to uh, some. <laughs> well, you know, not to us, <laughs> but um, R and D, and then somebody came up with the great name R&D and I said you know that sounds corny or that sounds confusing but I mean if you think of it uh it actually means also uh the rebel mm -hmm. and the demon so which is which who's who which whoever you want I think Eric Eric's probably the rebel yeah and I'm known <laughs> as the demon chef so uh so I'm the demon and he's a rebel so the name kind of has like two meanings in a way because of your engineering background so research and development also your nicknames. Um, now, can you describe the kind of food that you have? Maybe I'll throw it to you, Eric. Yeah, we we have like modern Chinese. Oh, that's weird. 
<laughs> we have a like modern Chinese sharing plates. Yeah. Uh, we take classic Chinese favorites of Alvin and I, uh, food we both grew up with, food we both love, and we add a Canadian spin and modern techniques to it. So, Eric, after you won uh, MasterChef Canada, so the first season, which was almost a year ago now, um, you went on to, I know you did a stage at uh, Alvin's restaurant in Hong Kong, but what has the past year been like for you? Uh, a lot of traveling, especially yeah. with Alvin. First, we went to Singapore together. We did a pop-up event. That was really exciting for me. Uh, we went to Kuala Lumpur. We went to all around China, getting inspiration for our menu, uh, Chengdu, Shanghai. And then I spent most of my time in Hong Kong working in a three mission star restaurant, Bow Innovation. So you, before that, because you're a home cook, so MasterChef Canada, the great thing about that show is it brings together all of these really talented home cooks and you, you know, one out of everyone uh, as being, I guess, the one with the most versatile talent and skill. But had you worked in the kitchen before that? Uh, no, I haven't worked in the kitchen before. Uh, you're actually not allowed to, to join MasterChef. You have okay. to be a complete amateur. But uh, while the show was airing, I did... I did work at Buka for a bit, and that was that was quite exciting. So then you so then you win, and then you go and you do a stage, which is kind of a work placement, right? Basically, it's you working at a restaurant like everyone else. So you did that for a couple of months at Alvin's restaurant in Hong Kong. What was that like? Uh, it was pretty intimidating, just flying out there. Uh, I've only been to Hong Kong once with my family. I never really got to explore the city or like uh, dine out that much. But um, going there was pretty intimidating because I only. I only interacted with Alvin on the show, and, and as viewers probably know, he was quite uh, mean and vicious on the show. <laughs> the demon but, part, right? Yeah, the demon part. <laughs> but then once you get to know him, he's a pretty nice and generous guy. Uh, so, Alvin, then you saw in Eric, obviously, some sort of potential. He wins the show. You have no obligation to help him out or to give him any sort of training. Uh, why did you decide to invite him over to your restaurant? Well, you know, I... Saw potential, and you know when, and, and seeing potential is rare. Seeing someone, you know, has uh, he's like a parallel of me, you know, from a different universe. <laughs> um, and I saw someone that um, is, you know, he has talent. You know, he has talent. But you know, a lot of people have talent. You have to have a lot of other things in order to utilize your talent. It becomes wasted, wasted talent, and uh, you know he, you know he's like a like a, a a burst of energy. So you have to somehow contain that, okay, and use it and try to you know take that potential energy and make it into something useful. Um, and so I invited him to really to suss him out, to check him out, see if, you know. I mean, you got the talent, but you know you need that hard work. You need the passion. You need uh, the 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 right frame of mind, the work ethic, and you know a lot of other things. You know, you need to be able to drink too. You know, being a chef. Uh, <laughs> well, I thought that was just a stereotype. That wasn't true. <laughs> no. Well, you can't. So, you know, during that couple months, you know, I really observed him and. You know, I bashed him up a bit, you know, but that's all play. You know, I just want to see, you know, whether he can take it, you know, whether he's going to give up or not. So that's, you know, April Fool. Um, <laughs> but like ongoing but, for yes. months. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, you know, I saw someone who has it, you know, someone who has it. And um, so after that, I decided, well, I asked him the question, whether or not you want to do something together, you know, open a restaurant in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And. You know, I, he said yes, um, and so I. And this is how it started. And that's uh, it's almost uh, how many months ago? Eight, nine months ago. 
Uh, when did it end? 30th? I think 30th. Yeah. Then you came to Singapore. So um, you spent a, a bit of time with me. And then after he said yes, that we, and after, you know, decided, you know, it's not, you know, uh, it seems like a marriage proposal. <laughs> and after he says yes. <laughs> it, okay. it does. It, I feel like you, yeah, you yeah. propose something quite large to him to yes. commit to, for better or for worse, mm-hmm. for richer or for poorer. And you accept it? No, only for richer. He's for <laughs> not for poor. <laughs> yeah. Then, then it ends, right? Mm. Once that happens. Um, so, my guests tonight are MasterChef Canada judge and chef Alvin Long, also season one winner Eric Chong. Uh, they've gone from being contestant and judge to restaurant partners for the new restaurant R and D, which is on Spadina in Chinatown. Um, and I want to, I guess, Eric, when you went over to uh, work in uh, Alvin's restaurant. What was the hardest thing for you? Um, the hardest thing would probably be the hours. Because not working in a restaurant before, I wasn't quite sure of what that really entailed. And it what were the hours like? Probably like at least 14 hours a day. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Uh, like at least. That would be a bare minimum. And it just have one one work shift there. Like Hong Kong, Alvin works some like like dogs. <laughs> they, get, they get pushed to the limit. Um, well, Asians have a very good work ethic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. They're all they're all very, very loyal to him, though. Mm-hmm. So at least 14 hour days, uh, standing on your feet. The whole time, you never get to sit down. Uh, it just really like formed me and uh, created the discipline that I that I have now. Well, I guess at that point, it's like you're either in or you're out. Like it, that's a good time to decide if this is not for you or if if you uh, can kind of pull through. It's like okay, I can do this because not everyone can uh, do that sort of work schedule. Um, so the guys are going to stick around with me. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about how this new partnership works and uh, how these two engineers traded their careers for cooking and how that happened. You're listening to The Pay Chen Show here on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. This is The Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Welcome back. I've got a two-hour show tonight, uh, live until 10 p.m. You can text in, if you like, at 7-10-10. My guest in studio right now, Master Chef Canada judge and chef Alvin Long, and the winner of season one of Master Chef Canada, Eric Chong. And the reason both of you are here tonight and also in town, because I know Alvin is all over the world, uh, is because you've opened a restaurant, so R&D on Spadina. When does it open, Alvin? Um, it's open next week, um, April seven for Which is, okay, on Tuesday. dinner. That's yep. on Tuesday, so um, I'm very excited. So this past week has been sort of testing things out, training staff. Is that what you've been doing? Yes, I've been um, trying to get the kitchen going. I mean, you need a bit of time to work the kitchen in because you know, any new restaurant, any new kitchen, there's going to be hitches in it. So we're trying to, um, and you know, I, I know because uh, maybe because of, of, of Eric and, and Master Chef and all that, you know, we, it's, it's one of the, uh, one of the, we name one of the most, 10 most anticipated openings. And you know, when, when people are anticipating, they're excited. We want to make sure everything is perfect before we, you know, we, we, we open ourselves to the public. So we had a, we had a week of practice and it's been, it's going well. So yeah. I'm quite confident, you know, come the, uh, Tuesday that, uh, we would be, we would be ready. Yeah, but, well, and that's the thing with a, with a restaurant that is, um, as hotly anticipated as yours, as the expectations tend to be high. So it can, uh, you know, be a, a bit of pressure. And how are you handling that, Eric? Uh, I think I'm handling it pretty well. Um, 
for I think most people my age wouldn't wouldn't really be in the position that I am, and I think uh, I'm taking it quite well. And everybody only has like one first impression, so we really want to gotta make sure that when we open, that see, it's see Eric, Eric doesn't have any mission stars to lose. Okay, that's <laughs> and that's why. That's true. <laughs> you got three there, Alvin. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think. <laughs> um, but I'm quite confident, really. I, I'm 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 quite confident because you know I've been at the restaurant all week, and I'm I'm seeing Eric work. You know, I'm doing a little bit of. Uh, uh, no, I'm doing a lot of yelling actually, yeah, but you know, I just want to psych them up, make sure everybody's ready. I want everybody, you know, I'm just trying to get them all passionate, you know, I want them to be just as passionate, just as excited as, as I am, because you know, um, this is what this restaurant's about. It's about it's about passion. You know, we have two too uh, self-trained, never really was meant for the business, but had the passion, and we developed our passion into into work. Which mm-hmm. you know, what what more can you ask for? You you know, every day we go to work, we're excited. Yeah. Um, now, Eric, you uh, you mentioned that not many people your age are in this sort of position. So you just turned twenty three. Um, when you entered Master Chef Canada. As a contestant, I guess you had just finished. I was twenty one. I just graduated university. Yeah, with an engineering, chemical engineering chemical background, engineering degree, right? Yeah. So had you worked a little bit as a chemical engineer? Yeah, and I absolutely hated it. So <laughs> uh, I didn't like suiting up. I didn't like mm-hmm. having a desk job. I just wasn't passionate about it. Like a lot of things I learned during university, I just I didn't know why. Like why would I ever need to do a triple integral or like don't even know what that like means. ridiculous things like that but then like cooking i could always relate to like you, you got to eat right mm-hmm. so you might as well be really good at it now who influenced your cooking uh, my grandpa my grandpa yep. was a chef as well he's a dim sum chef he used to have his own restaurant on spadina and uh when i grew up i always went to his house and enjoyed his dumplings and his uh, dumplings are actually on our menu so his dum- oh that's nice yeah it's called uh, grandpa's fun goal so yeah um now because you watched him cooking and you enjoyed it as well was there no expectation that you would take over the family business or was it like, let's keep you as far away from this as possible? Yeah. So like knowing Asian culture, maybe like it's all about face. So they really wanted me to become a doctor or an engineer. Oh, hi. I can relate to the doctor part. Yeah. <laughs> Guess what? I'm not. <laughs> there's there's uh, way more respect uh, in their minds to be a doctor and engineer. But now they're quite proud since I'm a restaurant owner, not just a chef. So then when you went to school and did your um, engineering degree, who did you have any interest in that? Or did you just kind of do it because it seemed like the what you should do, the natural step? And this would be a good it's a good job, um, you know, that you could support yourself with and your family w- would be proud of you to do it. Yeah, did it. It seemed like the traditional thing to do, like following the norm. Like it just seemed like like uh, my parents expect me to do it. I should do it. This is just going to be my life. I'm going to wake up at 8 a.m., come home at like 6 p.m. It'll just be normal until like Master of Canada came along. And I thought that was a great opportunity. What did your family think about that when you were when you because you quit your job, your short lived engineering career, (laughs) very short lived uh, to do the show. Right. Yeah. Uh, My mom was always very supportive. My dad was a little harder to convince. Um, I, I essentially would be like risking four years of my life. I just spent studying this degree to have a chance at uh, winning Master of Canada. And um, honestly, they didn't see how much I knew about cooking because I, I did most of my cooking in university and I lived on my own. So they didn't really have that much belief that I would win. 
<laughs> but hey, you proved them wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but I know, I know how they're full of support, and it, it means a lot to me. So that's great. Um, now, Alvin, you also have an engineering background, but you, I guess, made your career switch a little bit later in life. I mean, Eric was quite young. He he did it for a short period of time. Yeah. Well, you know, unfortunately, you know, when I was. Uh young, there was no MasterChef Canada, so <laughs> it was a bit more difficult for me to uh, convince my parents I want to create change. And, I, I, you know, I, I don't think it's never too early and it's never too late. And, you know, I guess, you know, if I, you know, I always believe that, you know, life is, you take it as is, you know, there's no, or fate and all this, um, you know. If I did it earlier, I may not be where I am today. I think, you know, um, before I became a chef, that was about 11 years ago. I started it at uh, 203 or 12 years ago. It's 215. I travel so much, I don't even know what year it is. <laughs> but, um, I, I, you know, you gain a lot of life experience. You gain a lot of other experience uh, doing other things. And if you apply all the energy that you absorb during the year, all the knowledge, and if you and you use that and concentrate it, and I think that's one of the reasons I was able to go go up, you know, relatively quickly. You know, from scratch to a three Michelin star in less than ten years. So uh, I don't regret that I don't have the early start. You know, I do regret I'm not 23. Okay, but <laughs> but uh, I have some regrets about that too. <laughs> um, but um, I think you know all the experience, all that. You know, when I was doing my my engineering job or or doing all that, I think that's it's, it's all this help, and you know, I, I I believe all the pieces will fit together. And if you if you're missing one piece, you it's, you may get an the puzzle will look different. You know, um, Alvin, because you're self you're self taught. Uh, and when you're a judge on the show, and you are very hard on the contestants, and that is what your job is, how and you and you and you see these people who have potential and are very promising. So people like Eric, people like the one, the contestants who are on the current season right now. Um, how do you relate to them? Well, first of all, it's not my job to be hard on them. Well, <laughs> okay, it's, your job it's not to like be oh, honest. Michael, you're the gentleman. Yeah. <laughs> Claudio, you be Mr. Nice Guy, and you know, Alvin, you look so miserable and hard and blue hair. Why don't you just kill them? Uh, it's I think the the it comes from the the passion in me, and it comes from that you know I can relate with what's going on. I was self taught, and so I know what it need what they need. To go up, I mean, you know, winning the show is one thing. You know, winning show is worth hundred thousand dollars. That's always good. But you know, you want to go further in life than just to win the, just to be MasterChef Canada. I think, uh, what was the question again? Let's go. You know, I was asking about how you, oh, but how you relate to the contestants, being yes. home cooks themselves, and you being self-taught. I, I I was there at the same time. I you know I can relate to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been there. I've been, uh, and I know what it takes. Um, to be self-taught, to to go without, you know, the proper formal training and what to and how to utilize uh, the advantage of of being like non being non self-taught or being you know what's the advantage of being se- being self-taught? I mean, there all things when you do it differently, when you go out of the box, you know, when you're it, it, there's 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 benefits from it. Of course, you know, I'm just saying that it's not all benefits. There are a lot of things that there's a lot of disadvantage. So I you know I. Know know um, the advantage and disadvantage and the most important thing is to take advantage of all these advantages and disadvantages, even though I mean, 
<laughs> Happy April Fool. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Eric, if you now if you had won that first season, what was your plan? Were you going to cook anyway, or were you like, I'm totally gambling because I'll have to go back to engineering? Um, yeah, I'd probably go back to engineering to be honest. Even yeah. though I had I had so much passion for cooking, I always wanted to be a chef. Uh, had I not won, I probably would not have gotten the support from my parents, and probably would not be able to support my career as a chef. Um, what's your relationship like now, the two of you? Because you went from being, you know, the judge and the contestant, and now you're business partners. Best buds, man. <laughs> really? <laughs> no, actually, I'm still in charge. <laughs> no such a thing as best bud. You know, he's still learning. He still needs a lot to learn. Ouch. But uh, my, but I think you know, um, I'm still hard on him sometimes. You know, oh, we were friends. Uh, yes. <laughs> Did you yes. think you were best buds? <laughs> <laughs> Reality uh, hurts sometimes. <laughs> uh, well, that's what he thinks anyway. <laughs> uh, but you know, but, but I the most important thing is as the relationship grows, okay, uh, there will be mutual respect. You know, is that from Karate Kid or you know? I'm a fan. <laughs> it's but, you know, sounding a little Mr. Miyagi like yeah, but, I have to tell you. Uh, you know, as the relationship grow, I think you know there'll be there'll be respect from for mm -hmm. each other. Well, uh, earned you, you earn respect, right? So that's uh, that's how it works. So uh, my guest in studio, I've got uh, Alvin Long from Master Chef Canada and season one winner Eric Chong. They've just opened their restaurant on uh, Spadina in Chinatown. So when we come back after the break, I want to talk to them a little bit more about the food there, their inspiration, and uh, what it's like to open up a new business in Toronto, which is highly competitive. You're listening to The Pei Chen Show on in-depth radio news talk 1010. PeiChen.com is the website if you want to find out more or listen to podcasts. <laughs> Radio, News Talk 1010. Thanks for tuning in tonight. You're listening to The Pay Chen Show. I'm live until 10 p.m. tonight, covering for Vinnie White, who's away somewhere very warm. Um, I have my guest in studio right now from MasterChef Canada, judge and three-starred Michelin chef Alvin Long. Also, his new business partner, not just the mentor-mentee part, uh, winner of MasterChef Canada Season 1, Eric Chong. Um, so you just opened your new restaurant together, so we've talked about that a little bit. Uh, R&D at uh, 241 Spadina Avenue, which is in Chinatown. So tell me why you decided to open up there and also serve Asian food. Uh, Eric? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> it seemed like the most practical place that has parking, which which I which I was quite adamant about. But um, we, we grew up in in uh eating eating around in Chinatown so we thought it'd be more appropriate to actually open in Chinatown and and it's an up and coming place like there's people eat, eatery there all these other restaurants and uh we think that we're actually going to bring people to Chinatown and, and revamp it because I think in the past years Chinatown's just been dying down people just go there for like quick eats but now you can actually get some really good food there yeah some good food good cocktails that. yeah good food good cocktails now the food is described as modern asian so what does that mean so we say modern Asian because it's not just Chinese. I mean, mm -hmm. predominantly Chinese food, but we also have some Thai influence, some Singapore influence, uh, places from Shanghai, Malaysia, because my dad's Malaysian. So we also have that influence in the menu. Um, and we say modern because we take the classics, like our favorites, like fried chicken, uh, sweet and sour pork, and just do a modern twist on it. Peking duck. Uh, our Peking duck takes about 76 hours to prepare. Is that normal? No. <laughs> No, no. Normally, I, I think they, they, they do it in less than a no, day. No, 72 hours is from egg, okay? Yeah. 
So how? So why does it take so long? Your peeping uh, duck. First, first we brine it for twenty four hours, and it gets uh, the duck nice and juicy, and then we actually dry it and apply uh, what we call paste which translates to skin water, and that contains like maltose, vinegar, red vinegar, and water, and that gives this nice thin, crisp layer of uh, sugar coating on it, and it gives you that nice crispy skin that everybody loves. And then we actually slow cook it in a combi oven for four hours, and it gives you nice pink and tender meat. So it. How have you combined your engineering background with the cooking? I guess I'll start with Alvin because you've been doing it for a little while. Well, you know, like, you know, like what Eric said, you know, we're definitely not using the algebra, the calculus and, you know, the the other uh, stuff. But, you know, engineer and any university degree, any, any, you know, I mean, you go to university and a lot of time, not just to learn the learn the you know learn from the books. You know, you actually learn about yourself. You actually give. You actually learn to express yourself. You learn how to think. You give yourself confidence, and that's to me is very important. It's not like you know a lot of stuff. You you uh, and I don't want to say this because there's a lot of people listening that hasn't gone to university or going to university. I'm not saying you know all that stuff you learn from the books. You're never gonna use the rest of your life. You know you're learning how to think and very important. In engineering, you learn to be very logical. We're very, very practical. But, you know, people say, oh, engineers, they're geeks. You know, they're not, they're, they're boring. They're not creative. But I tell you, you know, everything around the room I see, the television, this mic in front of me, the jacuzzi, oh, <laughs> really good to be <laughs> Hey, I tell you. The keg of beer that I keep in the back the of the studio. The caviar <laughs> fridge and, uh, you know, all this stuff. It's these are all products of engineering. You know, it's not an artist it's not, it, that, that created this. And, and, you know, the phone, the lawyers, uh, the, the, I mean, the phone, the the internet, everything. These are products of engineering. And engineers are very creative people. But we just, we're a bit shy sometimes. And that's why people don't don't notice, okay? I mean, to be quite honest, you know, the building, the your car, the bridge, you know, without engineer, you're, you're dead. Yeah. Um, so... You, you you just learn how to think, and mm-hmm. that you apply for the rest of your life, and that's why you know, and that and that's what I got out of it. You know, I mean, bloody hell, I'm 54 years old, so you know, I went to engineering school like 30 years ago, so you know, I can't think back that long. What the hell did I learn anyway? We had a lot of <laughs> Eric fun. Eric can we tell you, he fun. was there recently. Yeah. Um, now, are you the two of you? Are you more? Similar than you are different or more different than you are similar, Eric? Uh, like when you look at, like when you're with Alvin, because you guys spend time traveling, right? So yeah. to find inspiration for the menu, you guys actually spend how much time traveling around Asia? Like six six months That's least. a very, okay, yeah. that's a very long time to travel with one person. I don't care who it is. If it's your girlfriend, your best friend, your sibling, your parent, that's a very long time. You learn a lot about someone. I know and, he loves Batman now. <laughs> is are you a Batman fan, Alvin? Yeah, big time. Really? <laughs> Who was your favorite Batman? Who was my favorite? Adam West. Yeah. Adam West. And I love that '66 series because you know I I was there. <laughs> I watched it 1966. Okay, so. Uh, do you have a lot of like Batman paraphernalia at home? Like, do you have? I have I have a lot of, and very very nice pieces, rare pieces as well. So. Uh, do you have a bat suit? No, I do not have a bat suit. Okay, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Is that, do you have, okay, so I see, like, so you you learn that he likes Batman. But I mean, spending all of this time with someone, um, 
you know, do you, did you discover that, okay, we are, we are very compatible or um, we're really different, but sometimes that works as well. I think we're pretty compatible. I mean, since we're both engineers, we both have a similar mental process when it comes to developing dishes. Uh, we both think logically and practical. We both break things down uh, to see how to make a dish the most efficiently. So I think we approach things the same way. It's just our end result may be different sometimes. Yeah. Now, someone texted in, a listener texted in and asked what the one menu item is that they should try at your new restaurant. You might, it might not be the same one for both of you. So, Eric, what, what would you suggest? My favorite one would definitely be the fried chicken and the Hong Kong waffle. Fried chicken is very good. I did try that this week. Yeah, that one probably took the longest to develop because we had to try to get like the crispiest and most flavorful fried chicken. And the Hong Kong egg waffle is not as easy as it looks. The what? The Hong Kong waffle? The Hong waffle? Kong egg waffle, yeah. Yeah. That's actually uh, pretty difficult to make, to be honest. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Alvin, do you have a favorite? In well, terms you of- know, I, I would say, you know, the dim sum section uh, have a lot of very innovative and different take on the dim sum. Even, even our, like, for example, our egg roll, you know, it's, it's rolled differently. Uh, the skin is different. And, you know, a lot of times when we when we try to be, we, we do a, a, a twist or something or something, it's not for the sake of, like, you know, let's, let's do a twist and, and on on whatever uh, for the sake of a twist and make it you know make it our own it's not just that, I mean you know we as an engineer we also have to find out why we're doing it you know um, and for the egg roll for example you know instead of the bamboo shoot and the pork we put in chicken and pesto because you know I think this is People would like to see that in egg roll, you know, Canadians, or maybe in peanut butter and jelly or something like that, or maple syrup. I don't know. But, you know, the skin is different. The ratio between the skin and the, and the filling is different. We're trying to create, we're always trying to create, uh, you know, the perfect egg roll, or what we feel would be the perfect egg roll, and what people would like to see in egg roll. Now, I'm not saying, you know, you know you'd be very arrogant if you say you create perfect there's no such a thing as the perfect egg roll we're still looking and i think in life we're always looking to be perfect we don't see perfection we see just an upgrade and an upgrade and an upgrade okay and when we reach perfection you know there's nothing there's no nothing worth to live about you know you must well die after you do that yeah (laughs) and as you say you know when you get the top you know there's only you can only go down you you can't go up anymore and you know when eric was saying that you know the, the compatibility you know and i I think, you know, in a lot of ways, we're similar, okay, aside from our age difference. You know, we, we both engineering, both from Asian, we immigrate, you know, we both parents immigrated here. So, you know, they have their set of rules. But we grew up by Canadian rules as well. So there's, but, you know, and, and all that, you know, so, you know, I just see me, you know, or he's just, you know, 20 years or, you know, 20 years, 30 years behind me or behind me. Um, but, oh, no, sorry, ahead of me, okay? Okay. Hey, for fools. For those who are listening. When you look at Eric, do you just, yeah. do you see yourself a lot in him? I'm tall and him. <laughs> no, uh, <yeah. laughs> no I, I do see a lot. But, you know, sometimes, I just want to say in the creative process, you can't, two people similar, you know that doesn't that doesn't work because mm-hmm. you know if if two people are completely similar, why do you need two? Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, why do you need two? I mean, just, just for someone to yes, yes, yes. You know, yeah. sometimes we need some notes in there, and it's good when you know we do have different personalities uh, and. 
and 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 sometimes we and we argue we argue yeah. but i always win because you know i'm bigger than him <laughs> but you know you're, you're more knowledgeable <laughs> yes. and you're more mature you yes. have more experience maybe all of those things um well eric because alvin has a you know, when you did the show, I know that you saw Alvin as someone that you looked up to, like a mentor in, in many ways, because his background and experience was so similar to yours. Um, what have you really learned from him from all this time that you've spent with him? Oh, man, where do I start? Uh, he's definitely showed me a lot more about Asian cuisine because like showed me flavors that I never even heard of or seen before. And mostly he taught me like uh, how to be humble and frame of mind and proper discipline. Uh Definitely one thing I did pick up in Hong Kong is is like uh, attention to detail. A lot of things, like I can't even dine at certain restaurants anymore just because of the things he's like awakened me to. For example, like uh, a thumbprint on the plate. Oh. Like prior prior to working with Alvin, I would have never noticed anyone holding a plate differently or leaving a thumbprint on the plate. But now like the second I sit down in a restaurant, that's like the first thing I look for is like thumbprints and, and smudges on the plate. So it's, it's things like that, uh, attention to detail. It's probably the biggest thing I learned from him. Now, on the show, Al, Alvin was very much the, uh, I guess, as his nickname, the demon chef. Um, but you got to spend a lot of time with him. Is he more of a softy than we would think? Yeah, he's a big teddy bear. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. He's Yeah, he's, he's, pretty, he's pretty nice. Uh, out of the kitchen, definitely a joking guy. Um, as you may know, he loves making jokes. Always makes you laugh, but uh, in the kitchen, he definitely takes things very seriously. So there's a respect level there. Yeah, Phil. He always say, um, "In the kitchen, it's it's a war zone. So we're just we're just trying to battle and, and feed people, and uh, we don't joke around in the kitchen because you guys are holding knives. Things are dangerous. But outside of it, uh, once we leave the restaurant, he always says we're equal. So that's okay. quite nice. Well, you know, um, congratulations on the restaurant. Uh, I did have a chance to visit it when you were sort of uh, testing everything out, and it's really beautiful in there. Um, and I know that you're going back to work after this. Is that right? Yeah, I'm, I'm going back to work. There is no rest for you. Uh, so the restaurant opens on Tuesday for dinner. Is that correct? Yes, absolutely. Okay. So uh, the website, rdspadina.com, menu and everything is up there. Uh, if you want to try it out, then you can definitely look them up online, rdspadina.com, and uh, visit the restaurant. Thank you both so much. My guest tonight, uh, Eric Chong, winner of season one of MasterChef Canada, and also Alvin Long, three-star Michelin chef and judge on MasterChef Canada. I know the second season is airing right now uh, on CTV at 7 p.m. on Sunday nights. Thank you both. You're listening to The Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010, in for Vinnie White. I'll be here until 10 p.m. You can text in at 7, 10, 10 throughout the night. You're listening to The Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Hey, thanks for joining me on this uh, Easter weekend, also Passover weekend. And uh, I hope that if you... We're celebrating. I hope you had a good weekend with uh, with friends and family. Uh, I am covering for Vinny tonight and next week as well. So we'll be here until 10 p.m. Feel free to text in at 71010. So it's nice to hear from you during the show, which is live. Uh, you can also call in if you like at 416-872-1010 or start 8255 on your cell phone. Um, coming up, I'm going to talk to a mom who, uh, she put out a YouTube video, and that was the reason why I sort of, she caught my attention. Um, she put out a YouTube video because she discovered that her daughter, a baby who is now, I think, about 15 months, um, was diagnosed with a form of dwarfism. And while I know that not everyone 
listening will relate to that specifically. I think a lot of people who have children a lot or have kids in their lives can relate to having uh, something that worries you, that causes concern, and in some cases it's a little bit more serious where perhaps you need to get something diagnosed, you need to spend more time with doctors and in hospitals, and what that process is like. And I also just thought that her video was great because I thought of it as an educational tool where I didn't know a lot about this form of dwarfism. And I thought about the message she was trying to get across um, about her daughter Brielle and what her life was going to be like in the future and that this was really a way for people like me who don't know a lot about it to be a bit more sensitive and to understand what it is that they're going through, to understand the challenges that her daughter might have in the future. And I think it's really important uh, for people who have kids that they are um, sympathetic and open-minded to the sorts of challenges or disabilities of kids around them. Um, So I wanted to also talk about a couple of things that I discovered. Um, first of all, now that I was going to say the snow is gone, the snow is gone. I know it snowed a little bit today, uh, but for the most part, there's no snow on the ground, uh, knockwood. But you, what I'm really tired of is when the snow melts at, first of all, there's garbage everywhere. Now I live downtown and, uh, Basically, like every kind of corner on the sidewalk there, there's these piles of like cigarette butts, piles of garbage, um, and also like all these little landmines, these little piles of dried up dog turd because of lazy dog owners. And this really makes me mad because I live in a condo that is uh, pet friendly. Um meaning that people are welcome to have dogs and cats in this condo building. But you know what really makes me mad is when people think no one's looking, sometimes some people are extremely lazy and rude because I will take the back stairs to, to leave my building sometimes. No, sometimes it's just a big turd there. Some dog just did his business. No one's around, so the owner's like, ah, we'll just keep going. Why bother to, to pick it up when no one's looking? Well, I think this Next idea is fantastic. So whether you live in a condo building or maybe you live, you could live in a subdivision, but someone's dog is always leaving surprises on your lawn or in your driveway. Um, There is a uh, condo complex in Virginia who is getting dog owners to register their pets and their pets' DNA. This way, lazy pet owners who don't stoop and scoop can be tracked down and then fined. So... I absolutely agree with this. I'd be curious to know what you think. I'd be curious to know what pet owners out there think. You can text in 71010 or call 416-872-1010 or star 8255 on your cell phone. Do you think this is too invasive? Is it like, should we not be testing our dog's DNA and handing it over to someone? Uh, I think it's a great idea. So basically, um, this condo complex in Virginia is launching... It's called Poo Prints. I don't know. It's kind of clever. Sorry. So it's a DNA database of dogs in the building, in this condo complex. So it's like a gated area. So it will basically uh, catch owners, this is the idea, who don't pick up after their pets. I think this is perfect for all neighborhoods. Um, So basically the condo board sent out a newsletter to residents. They said that every all owners of pets would have to register their dogs and take uh, swabs of their DNA w- <laughs> this is with a condo board member present. This is like serious stuff. Like they want to be there as they you take a little swab of your dog. 
any poop that is found around the building will be sent to a DNA contractor and then the dog owner will be fined up to $600. Uh, Phil apparently does not agree with me. Phil from Toronto. You don't oh, think this is a good idea? I'm, I'm good, but I just thought everyone would think this was a brilliant idea, but apparently you don't agree. <laughs> well, I mean, the logistics of it aren't, aren't going to work. You've got to understand that people who do irresponsible, selfish, mean things tend to be irresponsible, selfish, and mean. So they won't register their dogs, and they'll fight about it. If, if, if you're not going to be able to force somebody. You're not going to take them to court to kick them out of the Congo or the condo or not allow them due to the fact that they didn't get their dogs to any tested. So I don't think it would work out. I yeah. think that, like, like I said, irresponsible, idiotic, selfish people are just that way. Okay. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate the call. Thank you. Have a great night. Okay, and I've got Allie now on the live from Toronto. Allie, I thought the, everyone would agree with me that this was a great idea, but Allie, you don't think it is a good idea? No, I, honestly, this is the stupidest idea I ever heard in my life. Just look at the expense that this condominium is going to go through. They're going to take the DNA of the, all the dogs in the condominium. Yeah. Now, how much the fine will be? The fine will be up to $600. And how much is going to cost? to process all those DNA. Well, I'm imagining that the cost of processing the DNA will come from that fee that's paid. So in theory, it should, it, it would pay for itself, in well, theory. Well, I, I don't think at the end of the day, and this will be uh, productive or uh, something that can work. I mean, you can take the DNA and store it. Now, whenever you found a poop that was not picked up, then you have to reanalyze it again. To find out which dog, uh, which dog it's coming from. Yes, and exactly. That's another expense. Well, and that's I guess they're they're hoping to prevent people from being lazy pet owners. And what will have been way better is to hire a security guard to patrol that area during the dog walk, and it will cost them uh, less cheap, and it will be more effective. All right. Okay. Good idea. Thanks so much, Ali. Appreciate the call. Welcome. All right. Um, oh, Charles is calling from Toronto. Let's see what Charles has to say. Hey, Charles. Hello. Hey, I'm okay. I'm calling from Mississauga, but I do agree oh. with you. Um, yeah. I think, actually, we should take it a step further and just do, like, a municipal-wide database mm-hmm. rather than a condominium-type deal. And just like you said, we, we passed the, the whole, you know, DNA cost-type deal, all the expenses, all legal expenses, on to the person who broke essentially at this point the bylaw right and then we just pass it on to them there's no such thing we, we won't we won't be concerned with the legal fees we won't be concerned with the dna database uh the fees to do that because on top of the fine these are all your responsibility because you made the well like the first caller said the active choice to be irresponsible right it's like how long does it take to pick up poop like literally it like, doesn't but they're on. just people who are so lazy and that's the thing, right? And, and and you need to, they need to have, for lack of a better word, our, our population's not mature enough. We, they need to have incentive not to do this. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. We Well, and that's the thing is, like, I think what this condo is doing is they're imposing the potential of a fine. So you can either take the 10 seconds to clean up after your pet. If not, there's a chance you're going to be out a couple of hundred dollars. It's kind of like people will do it if someone's watching. You know, yep. if they're like, oh, someone's watching, okay, I'm going to do this. But if no one's watching, then they don't. And now, because there's risk involved. So I think, uh, you know, I'm all for it. What, I don't know how 
difficult it would be to implement like citywide, but if you could start with certain neighborhoods, that might be possible. Thanks for your call, Charles. Appreciate it. Yep. Have a great night. You too. Uh, someone also texted and says that people constantly leave little bags, I guess little bags of droppings, in uh, their blue box, and the city refuses to pick it up. What well, does the city not pick up? Like dog waste? I don't know that rule. Uh, someone else texted and said that they have two dogs. I think it's a great idea. Oh, that's kind of nice to know from a dog owner. I thought maybe pet owners wouldn't be so into that because, you know, uh, they could be fine. Well, I think it's fantastic because it means that my shoes are less likely to get dirty. Uh, you're listening to The Page Chen Show on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Chen. And you can also find podcasts of the show there. So if you've missed one or you've tuned in partway through, you can find a link there. You can also find the podcast in iTunes. I'm covering for Vinnie White, so I will be back in the next hour. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, right now, we'll just uh, check in with your news. For the second hour, I'm in for Vinnie White, who is away for the next two weekends. So I'm here live until 10 p.m. You can text in anytime during the show at 7-10-10. Of course, you can call in 416-872-1010 or star 8255 as well. Um, still to come on the show, if you want to give your kids a really cool live orchestra experience, I'll tell you about the Toronto Symphony Orchestra's Young People's Concert Series. It's geared specifically to kids at about ages 5 to 12. So uh, if you want your kids to kind of have that great live music experience with um, beautiful instruments, then this might be something you want to hear about. Um, now, what do you do if you have suspicions about your child's health and then your suspicions come through? Um, have you heard of achondroplasia? One Toronto mom recently posted a really beautiful YouTube video about her daughter with achondroplasia, and she joins me, joins me now. Paula Thompson is on the line. Hi, Paula. Hi, Kay. How are you? I'm doing well, and I know that you have a very busy household with three <laughs> little kids running around, so thank you for joining me tonight. No problem. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about Brielle, because that was um, how I found out um, about you, and it was because you put up this really sweet little YouTube video about Brielle, who is, how old is she now, about 15 months? Exactly, 15 months. Okay. And uh, you posted the video where you talked a bit about her diagnosis with achondroplasia. Am I saying that correctly? Achondroplasia. Achondroplasia. Okay. Close. <laughs> okay. Which is a form of dwarfism. Correct. Now, when you, now, whose idea was it to put up a YouTube video? It was mine. Um, in the beginning, we were having such a hard time explaining to people. It was an awkward conversation to start. We didn't know how to bring it into the conversation. Yet we feel like we were, you know, not disclosing this really important fact to our friends and family. And not to mention that every time I did bring it up, I would break down. So I thought I would love to put it out to, to mainly friends and family and then kind of to the world just to, it's out there, they know, then they can approach me and ask me. And, and if I can educate and talk about it through video, then even better. Mm -hmm. So now let's tell our listeners what achondroplasia is, because it, the first time I heard of it was by watching your video. 
Yeah, it, it's very rare. It is a type of dwarfism. It's um, approximately 1 in 25 to 1 in 40,000 babes get this. And it's it's through average size parents, 80% of babies that are born with this condition, the parents are average size parents. It's, it's not uh, something that came from my grandparents or great-grandparents. It's just a random genetic mutation that happens. Um, so we were completely surprised when we found out about it, and, uh, and, it, and it's still it's still kind of a shock to, to you know to even talk about it that, that this is going on because she's my little babe. I don't mm-hmm. see her any differently anymore. But you know that's that's kind of our role right now. So let's talk a bit about the, um, the the I guess the physical attributes of achondroplasia because her being a baby, I don't know that it's really noticeable. But you had some suspicions, I guess, very early on. I did because having two other children, she just she just I don't know she just felt different to me. There was something in her back and her spine, um, that, you know, that was not the same. And looking it up online, I. I kind of googled it good old dr google Mm -hmm. and and i looked at large head shorter limbs and of course achondroplasia did pop up and you're like no 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 she's small there's nothing that's going to she's fine she's fine my husband kept telling me she's fine and of course we took her to the doctors and the doctors kind of confirmed it um achondroplasia is a is a is the most common type of dwarfism and it is very physical. You look at a, 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 you wouldn't maybe notice it in a baby unless you've got somebody similar age to compare the height and the differences. Mm-hmm. But once they get older, uh, shorter arms, very short legs, larger heads, swayed back, bowed legs, it, it is very obvious. Um, right. But healthy, mm-hmm. normal intelligence, and she'll, she'll be great. But yes, it is very visual. Right, and I guess the challenge is to, um, because as you mentioned, as a baby, it's not perhaps as noticeable, but as she mm-hmm. gets older, it will um, her physical differences will become more apparent. Now, how did this impact your family? Because you do have two other little kids as well. I do. Um, you know, they don't know any different. She's just a baby to them, and she's, she's you know, someone that they love and they adore. Um I, it hasn't yet. You know, it, it, mainly just going out to sick kids hospital for random appointments and check-ins and things like that. We've we've spent a lot of time researching and just caring for her preventative measures. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with her right now. There could be things that pop up, but they haven't. So not yet. We're lucky. Just it's been emotional the first maybe six months. We had a hard time with it. We're we're great with it now. We're mm-hmm. we're open about it. Anytime somebody on the street says, "Oh, she's so cute, but she looks really small," or, or she said something, well, actually, she's got this type of dwarfism, and we're right. we're trying to just spread the word and <laughs> talk about it. Just make people feel comfortable because people once you say that, they kind of get a little shy, get a little nervous. They're not sure what to say or how to you know, talk about it. And we, we try to be as comfortable and open about it as we, we can. Yeah, well, and that's what I was going to, um, you know, ask you about is sort of the, the questions or comments that might come your way. And, and now because you've had a few months to to adjust and, and to educate yourself and, and maybe be more comfortable about talking about it, um, I'm sure in many cases things are, are said perhaps 
maybe jokingly or as a, an aside or people don't mean it to be offensive, but there are certain things that might be said that can be a bit hurtful. And I just thought this might be a great way to educate people about the better way to ask certain questions. Yeah, I, I haven't um, I haven't come across it yet. I know my husband really dislikes it when people kind of say, oh, I'm sorry, like that's Mm-hmm. you know apologizing it's, for something it's that, a strange automatic reaction isn't it, it is. when you hear something that you know is uh difficult news in some way you, your, your reaction maybe it's because we're such polite canadians that we always <laughs> you know it's like oh i stubbed my toe i'm sorry you know and there's okay. nothing i can do about that but um and i do realize because i i know your husband um that it it was starting to bother him because the reaction was was i'm sorry sympathy mm-hmm. yeah and and that's fine, and I understand that, and that's human nature to do that, and it doesn't bother me. Um, and, and like I said, I, I haven't really come across it yet because people aren't observing it as much um, because she's still little. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, things that people can say are just, just, just ask. Just ask, so what is it? What, you know, what does that mean for you guys? Or, you know, d- d- does that affect her later on in life? Or just ask, just be mm-hmm. inquisitive and, and, uh, and learn about it so that you can pass that on to your friends. Oh, this is, this is somebody that I met today and I didn't realize that. Or, or, you know, just trying to make people okay with it, not shy. Right. Because like I would imagine that, you know, maybe if they, they do comment like, oh, she's so adorable, she's so little. And then you start talking about it that some people might feel like, oh, I, maybe I shouldn't have said anything. Yeah, and I don't want people to feel that mm-hmm. at all. The, the reverse. It actually is more awkward when I bring it up and someone changes the subject and goes on to something else. I'm like, oh, but don't you want to know about this? Yeah, it's like, wait a minute. Really? I just said something, you know, yeah. that, that could... You don't you... see this every day. This is like one in 40,000 babes. And right. I, I, pre-Brielle, pre-my daughter, I'd never seen a little person before. And I didn't know anything about them. You know, maybe a little bit on TV or mm-hmm. a couple of programs that they have on, you know, TLC. But, but that's it. That was my exposure to it. And it's so, I, I think special to see this little baby how she moves and what she does and how different she really is in the physical ways and I'm constantly showing people how flexible she is and what she can do with her legs and (laughs) I just think it's really really cool well you know in the video you do kind of show how she is quite flexible and she's just rolling around she's a very happy um, and very healthy baby now let's talk about um, I guess once you get a diagnosis like this um, and I think for parents it can be Many things. Your child could be diagnosed with so many things. It could be physical. Yeah. It could be mental. Um, and you, it's something that perhaps hasn't affected your life yet. So where do you go? Like, where did you go for help? And where do you find support? Um, it, it's tricky because it is such a small group. Um, yeah. we, when we got the diagnosis, we got presented with a large envelope filled with information, filled with um, literature, books, a little DVD, and here you go. This, this, is, this is what you got. This is what you have to figure out. And it was overwhelming. It was really difficult, first of all, to, to hear this, to confirm the suspicion that I had. And we weren't sure where to go or what to do. Um, so we started to rifle through all this information. And there was a small organization called Little People of Ontario that we got in touch with. And again, it's small. It's a really mm-hmm. cute little organization. But there were people. There were people that went through what we were going through. There was nobody um, that, that 
their children were older, so they didn't have anybody that were, you know, going through it right now, but they'd gone through it. So they had the confidence, and you could see these people that had passed the stage that I was in, and it felt so great to be around other people and see and just be around little people. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we walked in, and we were so nervous, and we didn't know, you know, we didn't, we didn't know how to approach this and how to get into it, and much like other people when they approach us. Right. And it was just, it was so eye-opening to, to be a part of this new world and be exposed to this new world that we were, you know, we were kind of humbled by all of our, all of our sadnesses and all of our just being nervous and not sure where to go and what to do. When we walked into this place with open arms, everyone was so wonderful to us. We were very grateful and just kind of humble that we have a healthy baby. She's alive. She's going to live a long life and, and there's nothing wrong. <laughs> yeah. And I, um, and I know that when we were emailing to set this up, you had mentioned that um, your son was just recently diagnosed with autism. Yes. So then there's, you know, that's uh, sort of extra attention as well for him. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, we, you know, we got that diagnosis a year and a half, two years ago now. So that was, of course, challenging. And his was entirely different to, to, to Brielle. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we, we got that when he was about two and a half years old. We had suspicions that there was, again, something different, that motherly Instinct. Is that like intuition that you just can't, you know, dismiss? Yeah. So we kind of brought him in and we talked to the doctors and they referred us to specialists. And then we went into a psychiatrist and we did all of this stuff to to figure out why, what was going on. Um, And I, I kind of clued into it when I had my second child and she was doing things very differently, very quick. She was just starting to talk, starting to listen, starting to respond, making the eye contact. And he was my first, so I didn't know that there was anything going on. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we got this diagnosis for, for autism, and he's on the, the spectrum. And, oh, lots of lots of challenges there that we faced. Um, and his is a little bit more invisible than Brielle's. Right. We don't have people always asking questions. It's more glares when he's misbehaving or doing something that he shouldn't be doing or doesn't understand um, or a lot of, again, glares when, mm-hmm. you know, I can't control my child or I'm having a difficult time controlling my child because he he's, again, not understanding or right. not listening or... And people and and because people don't know, and like you said, it's not it's not visible, so they they aren't realizing it. Um, just as we uh, wrap up, Paula, um, tell me about your I guess your hopes for Brielle's future. Hopes for Brielle's future, the same as any of my other children. The same, mm-hmm. they live a healthy life, they're happy and and they're fulfilled. Um, she she just really is going to excel because of her challenges. I think that it will make her stronger and. Yeah, I hope she's just strong and willful in her life and, and is able to get past the glares and the stares and, mm-hmm. the, and the, you know, the people in the world that are just being human and, and doing what we kind of do. Um, and that's, that's kind of it, I guess. Well, what would you like people to know? I, you know, especially I think people who have kids because kids are curious and yeah. kids can also, as they get older, sometimes be a little bit mean. And, um, you know, so I think it, comes down to how we um, raise our kids in many and that's ways. That's a great point. I love that point because it is. It's how you raise your children because today, especially having two diagnoses, it's, this was not a part of my world. It didn't really occur to me unless you're in it that 
of course you occur that there are different ailments and different people out there, but until you're faced with it, you don't, you're not as involved in it. Of course, it's because it's not your everyday. It's not my everyday by no, any means. No, it's not your everyday. Yeah. So you have to just make kids accept that, not make them accept, but help them accept that there are differences in life. There are different people in life. And they're all just people. They're all just getting by. They've got their unique qualities. And you have to love and respect anyone and everyone and just, uh, you know, <laughs> be nice, be friendly. Yeah. Now, when, um, I, I guess, have you had parents um, with little kids around you and they kind of don't want, because kids are naturally curious. I think kids learn to mind their own business because their their natural instinct is to ask and to touch and to approach. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, we tell our kids, you know, not to, not to talk to strangers and maybe that's not your business so you don't ask about that. But how, you know, what is sort of the um, the line for you? Would you prefer that the that other kids asked about real yeah, and totally? I don't want it to be you know the pink elephant in the room. Mm-hmm. I, I want people, and I've had kids come up to Brielle, and uh, you know kids are just so pure and so sweet, and I think it's such a great quality that they do ask. There's nothing wrong with it. It's the adults that kind of get shy and pull back. But I have had children come up to Brielle. I think maybe two maybe three times and mommy why is her head so big you know and they'll say stuff like that and the parents they just you know they get a little awkward and I kind of sometimes I'll explain it to, to people or the parents most I'd say nine times out of ten just depending on my mood right <laughs> I will kind of explain what the situation is and I'll leave it in their hands to explain it to their children if they want to explain it to their children and that's up to the parents how they do that yeah. Now, how has this changed your view of um, parenting or of life or, you know, towards people who have certain disabilities or challenges? Because like you said, before you had before your kids, this wasn't really something that affected you. No, it, it really wasn't. It, it just makes me more it just appreciate moms. You know, they go through so much and, and most of the time you don't know what they're going through. You'll before kids, I, I always remember looking at other moms or kids and saying, why can't you control your kids or mm-hmm. why are your kids doing this? And and now I'm that mom. You know, I'm that mom that can't always control my kids and, and they're not always listening and they're always behaving. But And not that they're excuses, but, you know, there's something behind that. There's a reason why they're not. And I think that I'm more tolerant um, just just in general to to people but in moms particular Mm -hmm. because I don't know what their challenge is what they're facing and I think that's a good lesson for everyone just don't judge because you really don't know what's what's going on behind the scenes yeah you know I think that's a great point because I think we're very quick to judge you know like I'll see a a kid running wild on the TTC and I'll think oh you've got to control your child but now that you know I'm of the age where my uh, most of my friends have children and some of them do have different challenges you you really do learn to be more um, open-minded and I think you know sympathetic and go you know what there's there's other um, issues and and uh, things that might be related to this outburst or whatever it is. So, no, I appreciate and I hope that. I hope that people can kind of take that from that little bit because it is and it's so hard for us when we are dealing with something, you just feel like you're being gawked at or looked at because you can't control them and you just you're doing your best. Yeah. We're all trying to do our best and just cope with our 
<laughs> with our issues and the small victories, let me tell you, when we do get them, you celebrate them. <laughs> Which is great. And I think you should do that. Paula, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Yeah, Kate. thank you. Thanks so Bye. much. Have uh, a great night. You too. Bye. Oops, I pressed the wrong thing. <laughs> That's Paula Thompson. Um, and you know what? Her her video on YouTube, I was able to Google it very easily. Um, if you want to see it and see her sweet baby, Brielle, um, all I did was I just Googled um, Brielle and uh, achondroplasia. I think you can also Google dwarfism, and you should be able to find it quite easily. Um, it's a really nice video. And I think her goal of just educating people a little bit about Brielle's condition uh, was a great one and a great reason to put something like that out there. Uh, when we come back after the break, I'll tell you why you should be supporting your public library. And I'm curious to know, actually, text in 71010. Let me know the last time you were at a public library. It For me, it's been a very long time. But I'll tell you that when I was a kid, it was part of my daily adventures, I think, as a child, really. So um, I'll tell you about some great new events and initiatives that they have. Also later on, I'll tell you about the uh, Toronto Symphony Orchestra's Young People's Concert Series. If you want to get your kids exposed to the symphony, it's a great way to do that. You're listening to The Pei Chen Show here on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. PeiChen.com is the website. Taking a quick break. Back right after this. This is the Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pei Chen here for Vinnie White until 10 p.m. Uh, and you know what? I think in a little bit I'll ask uh, Dave Eddy to pop in and tell me what's coming up on his show as well. Um, thanks for tuning in. Vinnie's also off next weekend, so I'll be back as well. You can always text in at... 71010 or call in 416-872-1010 or star 8255 on your cell phone. I'm curious to know when the last time was that you stepped into a public library. Maybe it was last week. Maybe it's been decades. Um, I'd like you to text in and let me know. Someone said they were at their local library just before the long weekend with the best selection of DVDs in town. You know what? The It's been so long since I've signed something up from the library. I don't even know that DVDs existed the last time I signed something out. Um, but now, when I was a kid, I was at the library all the time with my brother. And I think that was really my mom's way of getting us out of the house for a little while. And this is sort of before it was not okay to let your kids walk a long time alone um, when they're young. So we used to go there and we used to sign up books, like just as much as we could carry, we would sign them out. So I do have quite a... F you know, fondness for public libraries. And uh, there are a couple different ways that you can support your local library. But one is um, by getting young professionals together with a series of events uh, by joining something called New Collection. I've got David Delaney on the line. He's the New Collection co-chair. Hi, David. Hi, Faye. So let's, okay, let's start uh, with the fact that 2015 is actually a really big year for Toronto libraries. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, in 2015, we're uh, opening our 100th branch, the Scarborough Civic Centre. Um, so uh, we have a new campaign, 100 Reasons to Give. Um, and uh, it's our 100th branch, so it's, um, it's a big deal. It's pretty important. It's That's really exciting because uh, I love that libraries are still opening. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, uh, there's, it's good to see that, that libraries are still opening, that people still, you know, realize that there's 
um, I guess a lot of a lot of need for libraries. Um, now, there's certainly been sort of talk around the city in the last couple of years about whether or not they're important. Some people saying they're not important. Other people saying they are. And it's good to see that. Um, that we're still opening them and that uh, people still think they're important. Well, it's a, you know, it's a great resource for the community. And I mean, I'll admit, I've not signed something up from the library in at least a decade, probably. Um, so that makes me a bit of a hypocrite. <laughs> but I, I do think they're fantastic because I understand, I understand the importance um, that they have in the community because there's, you know, there's books and resources and things there, but there's also, um, you know, the, the computers and there's movies and you can access a lot of the stuff uh, if you don't have a lot of money, which is what I think keeps a lot of people from accessing information in general. So it's a great, um, I think, a great addition to any any neighborhood. So let's talk about new collection, because this is something that I only learned about fairly recently by attending one of your events. And I wasn't really familiar with it. And I didn't really know that young professionals around my age were getting together to support Toronto libraries. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll speak to that in a minute. But I just want to go back to a point that you made earlier about the importance of libraries and about sort of why they're important and People take out books and people like them because you can get free movies, you can get free books, mm-hmm. and you can go there and they're a public space. One of the things that's really important to realize about libraries, particularly the Toronto Public Library, which is one of the busiest in the world, is that they offer over 30,000 classes and programs for free to the residents of Toronto. So if you're somebody that's, that's come to Toronto from Eastern Europe or from Asia or from somewhere else in the world, you don't speak English. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go and you can take an English as a second language class at the library. Um, if you're trying to start a new business, you can go and you can take a class for that at the Toronto Public Library. Um, so it's a, it's you know there's a lot that you can do there, and there's a lot of there's a lot of sort of helping helping people helping other people to integrate into society and to. Um, to sort of really, you know, really work with the community. So I think I think that's an important reason. Um, with respect to new collection, um, so we're a group of young professionals. It's a collective, um, and we offer members um, access to events with prominent writers and thinkers um, in support of the Toronto Public Library. Uh, so we have two coming up in the near future. Uh, we have one with Sarah Gruen, uh, who's uh, number one New York Times best-selling author of. Water for Elephants, and we're going to be talking about her new book, uh, At the Water's Edge. And then we also have David Suzuki coming in after that in May mm-hmm. um, to talk about uh, the letters that he's written to his grandchildren, talk about some of the themes within those letters. So it should be, should be awesome. You know, what's nice about um, the events, and I mean, I, I only attended the one, which was uh, wasn't too large. It was kind of small and intimate. I'm not sure if they're all like that. But uh, it, it gave you access to the speakers or the authors, Absolutely, yeah. So the one that, the one that you were at um, with uh, Matt, um, absolutely, most of them are like that. And that's the way we try and keep them. We try and keep them small. We try and keep them intimate. We try and keep it so that people are, are really comfortable asking questions and sort of having a discussion because, you know, we have, some, we have some big names there. Like we get guys like Conrad Black coming in. You know, a lot of people are scared to sort of ask them <laughs> a question, right? They have an opinion about something right. that he's written um, or something that they've read about him or by him. Uh, and they want to talk about it, and um, and that's the idea, right? You should you should have a forum for for things like that. Now, how um, do you even how do you even ask someone like Conrad Black to come out and and take part? Well, he's actually excellent because I mean he loves the library. Oh, that's good. Um, and so he comes out and he does um, a Pulse Salon speaker series. 
for the library all the time. Um, I mean, he's a prolific author, as you probably know, um, and, um, and he likes to he likes to speak in public. So um, so he's you know he's great with that kind of stuff. Now, uh, I guess you were talking about the having different authors and speakers come out. Um, what are there other sort of events that you put together as part of new collection? Yeah, so typically we have we have nine events per year, um, and so usually about three of them piggyback on the Pell Salon speaker series, um, which is a free speaker series, free to Torontonians or anybody in Toronto, um, but they almost always sell out. So when I say sell out, I mean that the tickets all get booked because you have to book them in advance, um, but they're free. Um, and so usually we'll, we'll have three of those where we actually get to meet the speaker and have sort of an intimate conversation with them, have, have sort of like cocktails with them and speak with them and introduce ourselves and ask them questions and they speak for a bit. And that's always amazing. So we did that last year with Justin Trudeau and a few other people. Um, and then we have six events per year that are geared entirely, um, or I should say exclusively, to new collection members. Um, and those, those are, are different events. Um, usually with a literary bent, um, like, for example, the one that you were at with Matt where he's speaking about his cookbook and the process of making a cookbook and the process of sort of opening up his restaurants. And, and right, that, that was with uh, that Matt Bazzilli from uh, Fidel Gastro and Lisa Marie. Right, exactly. And so, you know, that, that one was fantastic. The venue was fantastic. You were fantastic. Matt was great. So, you know, we try and, we try and do things like that that are small. And then we also have things coming up. For example, in the fall, we're going to have Ira Gluskin. Um, who's uh, a leading investment thinker in Canada um, and worldwide. And um, anyways, we're having him come to uh, this place called Ben McNally Books, um, which I've never actually been in. But if you Google it, you'll, it'll give you a sense of, of what the interior of the place looks like. Is so, that you know, a Manitoba company or um, chain? Why am I blanking? I don't know. But, okay. I'm not sure whether it is, but you should Google it and you should come to the okay. event too because it's going to be amazing. <laughs> So let's talk about there is a membership fee. So it's $300 or you could, I guess, pair up with someone and then it's uh, $500 for two people. Exactly. So join with a friend and it's $250. Now, what does the money go towards? So the money goes to the Toronto Public Library Foundation, which is a foundation that, that gives money to the Toronto Public Library. And so the Toronto Public Library funds the priority needs of the Toronto or sorry, the Toronto Public Library Foundation funds the needs of the library that aren't covered by the municipal budget for the library. So most people think that the library is paid for by the city, and, and the majority of it is, but in every branch that you go to across the city, there's collections and there's events and programs that are put on as a result of donors okay. that wouldn't be there um, if it weren't for the donors. Oh, okay, so it's the, most of the libraries do require maybe a little bit of extra help. Right, exactly. Okay, so then that's where the the money goes in terms of membership. So now let's, you know, not everyone has $300 right now to perhaps um, buy a membership, although some might be considering it. Uh, what are other ways that they can support the libraries and the programs? Yeah, so, I mean, there's there's something as simple as, like, you could give a donation online. So you can go to, um, uh, I think it's backslash donate mm-hmm. um, and so you could give $20 there um, or it could be something as simple as taking your old books and, and bringing them to the library. You know? Oh, can um, you do that? I wasn't yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay, that's great. Well, because I feel like, you know, when people 
move or they start kind of doing a little bit of spring cleaning. They end up with a couple of things that, you know, are still in great shape, but they don't know what to do with them. The other thing, Faye, that I think it's, you know, really important for, for you and I and for everybody listening to understand is that one of the most important things is for people to actually go and use the library. Um, I mean, they have things as diverse there as yoga classes for free. They have Photoshop classes for free. You know, they have computer literacy programs, which, you know, isn't wow. probably as applicable for you or I, um, but they have advanced programs um, like for Excel and for other computer programs and things that might be applicable, right? Um, and it's really important that people go out and, and take advantage of that stuff. Um, I had, Okay, I had no idea that there were those sorts of programs at the library. Absolutely, and most people don't. And I mean, that's, that's a problem. People really need to know about that. Um, someone just actually, a listener just texted in and said that uh, the library is an excellent place for free computer classes like 3D printer certification, uh, along with regular, I guess, Microsoft uh, MS suite packages. So a lot of things that y- you would typically have to pay for if you went somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So these Absolutely. are great. Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that's one of the, you and you hit the, the nail on the head, one of the things that's really important, perhaps the thing that's the most important about libraries, not only in Toronto, but around the world, um, public libraries, that is, is that they're one of the only places where you can get free education. Yeah, and, that's and that, true. That's really a profound idea. I mean, it's, it's, it's exceptionally important that we have that. And it's, um, it's amazing that it's there. You know, I, I know in some neighborhoods it's perhaps... Uh, certain libraries are a bit more of a challenge in terms of putting on events and such, but um, it, it's really quite impressive to know that there's this range of programming mm-hmm. available that doesn't isn't directly associated with signing out a book that you want to read. There's all these ways that you can improve yourself. And what I like about it, too, is, you know, because my parents were, um, were immigrants and didn't speak English, uh, for me, it was really where I could brush up on my reading skills because when I started school, I was a very slow learner and a slow reader because no one at home uh, could read to me or, you know, kind of get me interested in into books. So the library was a very, very important place for myself and for my younger brother when we were growing up. But uh, back in those days, it was just the place you went to sign out books. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't yoga class or anything else there. Um, so if people want to find out more, I w- uh, will let them know that the website is torontopubliclibrary.ca. And, of course, they can also find out more information about a uh, new collection there. Thank you so much, uh, David. Thank you for having me, Beck. Have a great night. So uh, that's David Delaney, the uh, co-chair of New Collection. It's a really uh, nice group. And if you are if you want to support them, then by all means, um, just look them up, New Collection. And again, torontopubliclibrary.ca. You can find out the other programs that are there. I didn't know they had yoga classes. That's crazy. After the break, the Toronto Symphony Orchestra has a special concert series on the go. I'll tell you about that. Paychan.com is the website if you want to uh, catch up on podcasts or find out a little bit more about what's going on on the show and uh, at Pei Chen on Twitter and Instagram. You can always tweet me as well. Taking a quick break, back right after this. This is the Pei Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm Paige Chen covering for Vinnie White up until 10 p.m. So we've got uh, like 15 minutes left in the show. 
Thanks for tuning in. If you want to find podcasts of the show, if you missed a portion of it, or, or if you want to catch up on uh, maybe my earlier interview with MasterChef Canada judge and chef Alvin Long, and also season one winner Eric Chong, as they talked about their backgrounds and food and engineering and opening up a new restaurant. You can always find that uh, on my website. You can also find it in iTunes as well. So I usually post the podcasts up like a day or two after the live show. Uh, also, the show is live, so you can interact with me anytime. You can text in at 71010 or call in at 416-872-1010 or start 8255 on your cell phone. Um, I was talking about uh, this great way of getting your kids exposed to music. Um, the Toronto Symphony Orchestra has a series of performances called Young People's Concerts. Um, and it's a great way to kind of get your kids to listen to a bit of classical music. So Gabe Redford is on the line. He's the third horn with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. Hi, Gabe. Hi, Pei. How are you doing? Uh, I'm really excited about this series because I, you know, up until this week, I had no idea that you, you put on concerts that were really skewed towards kids. You know, it's the greatest thing, actually. We, we do it uh, four or five times a year, and uh, we do two shows on a Saturday in the afternoon, and they're usually packed. I mean, this is a, it's actually a really popular program. So now who, I guess, what is the age range of the kids that this is ideal for? Well, I mean, there's, obviously there's some flexibility on this based on the kid, but, you know, I have, I have a six- and a four-year-old, and I know that my six-year-old is ready, and I think that my four-year-old <laughs> is ready. I would say, I would say the best... Uh, kind of age range would be in the five to ten range. Okay. And you know, if you know your kid and you know they're going to really enjoy it, if they're eleven or twelve or four, you can consider it. But we, you know, kind of think five to ten works the best. So now, what is young people's concerts like? How is this different than a regular TSO performance? Well, listen, this is run by people that that do this expertly. I mean, these are these are shows that are geared to kids of that age and uh they're unbelievably engaging um you know coming up we have we have this this concert called shake rattle and roll and it's on uh, april 11th on, on saturday there's two shows and this uh this group these young these four young guys that make up a percussion group torque we've done their show once before and w- let me tell you that within two minutes there was a standing ovation from the 2,000 kids in the audience. They, wow. They're that exciting. Yeah, they walk out and they, they do this uh, this kind of drum routine on a bunch of garbage. <laughs> and it's it's absolutely unbelievable. So now, um, this is something that people buy tickets for. The tickets, I, I believe, range around $20, like up towards 30 yeah, I mean it's the kind of thing I, you have to you have to check on the on the TSO website. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, they, there are tickets you have to purchase. But I think it's one of those things you're going to find is is well worth it. There's uh, there's all kinds of activities happening in in lobbies uh, beforehand for uh, you know instruments for the kids to try and play and uh, musicians for them to meet as well as uh, things going on after the concert as well. You'll find that you'll get a couple of hours of real enjoyment out of it. So the great thing is is uh, that the next concert is coming up this weekend, so this coming Saturday, April yep. 11th. Um, and then the next one is uh, May 2nd. So there's a, a two chances for people to, to catch a concert in the next few yeah, weeks. Yeah, May, May 2nd is a really exciting one, too. It's all about the Pan Am Games and uh, our great friends from the Platypus Theater who have done so many great shows. I think the last one we did with them was uh, Peter and the Wolf, uh, which was hilarious and awesome. 
and they are, again, real experts at this. The kids uh, absolutely love these shows, and this one's going to fo- focus on music from both South America and North America, and I'm sure it's going to be a ton of fun. Oh, and conducting is Alain Trudell, who's one of the great Canadian conductors. So the performances happen at uh, Roy Thompson Hall, and as you mentioned, they, they usually happen on Saturdays. So yeah, always, always these concerts are always on Saturdays at mm-hmm. 2 and 4 p.m. Yeah. And um, I guess, like, why, why put on these concerts? Why put on the series? Well, it's so important for, for kids, especially ones that are um, either starting in music or thinking about starting in music, to hear it done and to hear how, how exciting it can be. You know, my, my little daughter plays the violin, and, and she, you know, it's, at a six-year-old, she still struggles to make, you know, get through a whole piece, and, and she, loves, she loves doing it. But, but she gets really excited when she hears it done really well and hears the level you can get to with just a little bit more work. And for it to be done in kind of an accessible way, the concerts aren't too long. They're just under an hour. So just when the kids are starting to get a little squirrely, they're over. It's one of these things that that can be memorable for a child to say, that's how I want to learn to play the instrument. I want to get good. And that can make practicing at home a lot easier for the parent when the time comes. Now, I think most parents who have some interest in music or who have perhaps played an instrument themselves absolutely see the benefit of exposing their kids to music and of, um, you know, allowing them to take part in the arts. But that's sort of something that, you know, keeps getting cut in terms of in school. But so you're a dad and you, you know, you also you and your wife play with the, uh, the TSO. That's right. You know, for you, what are the benefits of having you know um your kids exposed to live music well I'll, I'll tell you first of all on a personal level i've i've got a you know smart little daughter who who's you know can, tends to get a little scared of things so i find her getting very confident when she gets when she starts to be able to actually accomplish something that was hard to her even a week before, something that she really struggled with, then she starts to get it. She develops, you know, she gets this smile on her face. You see confidence. The other thing is, I feel like, you know, she, she needs help with her attention span. Sometimes I'm reading a, her a chapter book and, and she'll, her, her attention will wander. But music, it helps her to concentrate. And, okay, so beyond personally, study after study after study. I mean, you can go on. It's, it's, it is a proven fact that playing music, singing music, playing an instrument, it activates all parts of your brain. It's essential for a kid who wants to develop their brain to develop skills, social skills, motor skills, all of these kind of concentration and brain-building skills. Music is absolutely the best way to do it. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Um, I think this is a fantastic concert series. And, um, you know, I, I think I'm going to encourage listeners to try and get out to one of the next two that you have coming up. So, again, Saturday, April 11th is the next one at Shake, Rattle, and Roll. You can find out yeah. more information at uh, tso.ca. Gabe, thank you so much for your time. Hey, it was really great to talk to you, Pay. Thanks. Thank you. That's Gabe Redford. He is with the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, and uh, they have their Young People's Concerts. So again, the next one is Saturday, April 11th. They have two performances a day, one at 2 p.m. and one at 4 p.m. And it is something that you buy tickets for. So you can go online and find out more about that. Um, I think a great way to spend an afternoon with your kids, maybe keep them busy and um, get them motivated and inspire those creative juices of theirs. Uh, Taking a quick break here on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Coming back right after this. This is the Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Thanks for listening in tonight. Uh, I'm back next 
Sunday for two hours again from 8 until 10 p.m. And then uh, Vinny will be back after that. He's out somewhere enjoying warm weather and sun. I don't know what that feels like. Um, Patreon.com, of course, is a website that I've been mentioning. Uh, you can find podcasts there of the show. You can also find podcasts in iTunes uh, if you missed. Yeah, you, maybe you didn't hear last week. It was a great show last week, and I swear I learned a lot on the show. Um I was talking much earlier, actually, now about April Fool's Day, because, of course, that was this week. And I was curious to know if any of you fell for an April Fool's Day prank. You can text in at 71010 or call 416-872-1010 or star 8255. Let me know if you fell for something. You know what I love is that with social media now, um, a lot of big corporations are getting really creative with their April Fool's Day prank. Like WestJet, for example is known for always coming out, excuse me, with something really amazing. Um, and a lot of big companies have been doing the same. Like, I think McDonald's even did this announcement called, like, Big Mac Mini Bites, where they were basically selling, like, this packaged, I don't know if it was, like, a cracker or a chip that was, like, mini Big Mac flavor in these chips. So let me know. Seven, ten, I just had a piece of a protein bar and it's caught in my throat. I'm feeling a little sorry for myself. Uh, <laughs> Elliot, do you ever take part in April Fool's Day type shenanigans? I don't do it anymore, but I will tell you about the great one that I pulled off on a coworker a couple years ago. I, I, did, uh, I did do something, yes, when I had roommates. This year? No, oh, no, not this year, when I had roommates in the past. What'd you do? I did the um, old ketchup packet under the toilet seat trick. Are you familiar with this? Um... You, you take a ketchup, you take several ketchup yeah, packets yeah. and you place them under uh, the seat, the portion that comes in contact with the actual bowl. So you just, it's like you try to trigger. Oh, and then when someone sits yes, on it, the it ketchup splats, packets burst. And they get you know, messed up down there with ketchup. And uh, it was meant for my roommate, but um, his girlfriend used the washroom first. Oh. So, um, that's and then. Like yeah. Isn't one of the classics like putting um, plastic wrap over the toilet seat too? That's another one, yeah. I. Yeah, I feel like I've done that, too. Uh, maybe in residence. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, the ketchup packet was meant for him. And then I, I offered to pay for the uh, the cleaning of from her pants, her designer <laughs> jeans. No. Yes. So that's that's my contribution to the world of uh, pranking. That was nice of you. It's first stand-up of you. Um, I, I actually uh, had dinner with a group of girls this weekend. Not this weekend. Uh, this week. I just lied to you. Um, and one of them who's got two boys, I think they're 10 and 12, she said that they somehow, and I didn't know you could do this, on her cell phone, because she had her alarm set, they managed to change the time on her phone. So they didn't just change the alarm. So it's one thing if your alarm's set for 6 and then they, you know, change it so it goes off at 5. They actually changed the time. I don't know how you do that because I always just thought the satellite signal of your phone just always had an accurate time. That's why everyone's cell phone has the exact same time. You never have to set it. Except me, who I set my uh, cell phone clock way fast for some reason. You just, actually set your clock? I do. Yeah, it's not It's not hooked up to any central thing. Like, I guess yours is, maybe? Well, I just, like, if I travel or whatever, I yeah. turn my phone on, and it automatically gives me the time of wherever I am. So I've never had to set yes. the time. But they, anyway, I didn't know you could do that, so that's just proving my age. But anyway, yeah. she, her kids set it an hour earlier, so then she was up super early. And But then in her, she works from home, in her own home office, they set all the clocks an hour later. So she was so confused. That's elaborate. It is elaborate. 
Um, but you know what I did one year was uh, I worked at a TV station for many years, and one of the guys who worked in our promotions department, uh, he was a huge Montreal Canadiens fan. And this was the year that um, the for what do you call it? The first game, the first hockey game of the season opening night sort of opening yes so it was going to be against the maple the toronto maple leafs and the montreal canadians and it was going to be here in toronto and of course like none of the guys could really go to the game but they all talked about it It was going to be really great because it was like montreal against toronto whatever so i put up a, uh, a craigslist ad and i said that he had tickets to sell to the season opener and i left his work number and he got so many voicemail messages from people who were like, I really want your tickets. I'll say, because I, I put up that I was like only selling them for cost, not trying to make a profit, whatever. Um, so he got all of these messages because he went out for like lunch and then a meeting and then he came back and his phone, and then his phone wouldn't stop ringing like every yeah. five seconds with somebody calling, like, hey, do you still have those tickets? And he's like, oh, you have the wrong number. Um, anyway, wow. I felt really great about that one. Yeah, no, that's actually a little <laughs> more involved than, than a lot of. I mean, it's creative. I, I, I've never even heard of anything like that. Well, that's so good. Yeah, that's... make fake posts on Craigslist, which probably is kind of illegal, and maybe you shouldn't do that. Yes, but I did use his work <laughs> number, so I didn't feel like I was sharing any of his personal information on there. You're leveraging the power of the internet to prank. Yes, uh, someone texted in and said I should Google uh, Drake Raptors April Fool's joke. I'm not familiar with it, but I think someone told me about that. Anyways, it's it's highly entertaining, I find. Um, thanks for tuning in tonight, everyone. Uh, I'm back next Sunday from 8 until 10. Uh, Ed Keenan is off this weekend, but I know Dave Eddie is here. He'll be on at 11 p.m. with his show, which will be live, and you can interact with him as well. Paychen.com, at Paychen on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, hope that you had a very lovely Easter or a very lovely Passover with your friends and family. And uh, if you're lucky, maybe you get tomorrow off. If not, then time to go to bed. Have a great night. Yeah. Na 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 na.